can just marvel at how old Glenn is. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, take your mustache and get out of here. It's really because I'm jealous of that mustache, let's be honest. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, like I am, you're going to be on page 897. 897. Today we're going to be studying a somewhat familiar passage to many of you, the story of Lazarus. And even if you're not a believer or you don't often go to church, you've, you might have heard of the story of Lazarus. As with when we do familiar stories, I invite you to really look today at what God's Word says. And don't just assume you remember all the bits and pieces. But as we look at the story of Lazarus, we are confronted with the reality of death. Both our own natural deaths, again, outside of the return of Christ while we're still alive, we believe that all of us will one day die. But we also experience death not just through the lens of our own experience, but through the death of others. The death of others that we love. And what we need to do as followers of Jesus is prepare ourselves in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls to how do we experience death, either our own or the death of others we love, in a way that brings glory to Christ. From another perspective, how do we understand and experience death as believers, as followers of Jesus? Because I will tell you in my experience, and I'm going to talk about this a little throughout the sermon today, that it is very different. That having a biblical understanding of death and life will change how you experience either your own death or the death of someone you love. And I will further claim that it will be more healthy. It will be a way that you don't lose yourself in the grief, but it also provides you a foundation in which to sincerely grieve and sincerely mourn. In my time as a pastor, I have been around many, many people at the time where they are either experiencing their own death or the death of someone they love. And what I can tell you from that experience is that you need to understand what Jesus says, what God's Word says about these things. Because it's inevitable that it will happen. 
and you need to be prepared. And I say that because I care about you because I've seen people not be prepared and it almost destroys them. Let's look at John 11. We'll begin at verse 1 and we'll see this big idea throughout. Believers in Jesus live today with the hope of the resurrection to eternal life. So let's look at point number one in your outline there. Illness leads to the glory of God, verses 1 to 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John introduces us to the main characters of the story. We have Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. When John, in verse 2, talks about Mary anointing the Lord, he is talking about a story in such a way that shows us people knew about this story, but it's a story we're going to see in chapter 12. And John hasn't written about it yet, as far as we're concerned as readers. But we'll get to it in chapter 12. The sisters, Mary and Martha, wonderful women, throughout this story, they send to Jesus. They send someone to go find Jesus. They can't just text him. Lord, he whom you love is ill. I want you to see that in that Jesus had friends. Jesus had people whom he loved. Jesus was not a robotic savior. He didn't sort of flitter an inch above the ground and not really care what happened because he's Jesus and that's what he does. He had friends. He had people to whom he was closer than other people. You see that in the disciples. He often has his inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John, in addition to the larger group of 12, which in and of itself was a smaller group of many other followers. One thing we're going to see throughout this is Jesus knows what it's like to experience the loss of someone he cares about. Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone close to him. And so when you do, you have a sympathetic Savior who has experienced those things himself. But Jesus says in verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. This is one of a few purpose statements throughout this story. Telling us Jesus knows what he's going to do. Okay, nothing surprises Jesus. And he has a purpose for what is going to happen. And that purpose, expressed here, is for the glory of God and that the Son of God, Jesus, might be glorified through it. I want to take a second here and talk about this word glory. What does it mean when we say glorify God? We use it. It's on the front of your bulletin. Whether or not you remember that, it is there every week. (laughs) We talk about wanting to glorify God. What does that mean? Let me give you two quick sort of places to hang your... Hang your thinking hat on. 
Number one, when God is glorified, people see him clearly as God. So when God is glorified, we see him as he is. And then number two, related, obviously, is when God is glorified, he is praised, he is worshipped as God. And so this story, one of the purposes of what is about to happen is to show God for who he is, to show Jesus as who he truly is, and then to bring those around who are witnessing this and those of us reading it much later to worship God, to worship Jesus as he is. One of the things that we understand as we experience issues of life and death is that one aspect of it is to understand God is at work even then. Even when you are terminally ill. Even when someone in your family is close to death. Even then, God is at work. Now, as I talk about these different aspects of experiencing and understanding death from a Christian perspective, I don't want you to see as one sort of removing the other parts. But we do need to understand this is a part of understanding these types of experiences from a biblical understanding. So that throughout this story, you are going to see an opportunity to see God more clearly and to worship him in response. Let's look at point number two there. Death leads to faith. Let's look at verses 5 to 7. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. So John tells us, he reminds us, that Jesus was close friends had a good, loving relationship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And that's going to help us understand what can seem quizzical in the next sentence. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed. Now I want to take some time because this delay, this intentional delay by Jesus is often puzzling. And to explain it, I want to share a little bit of the story ahead for those of you who don't know the story. So, Lazarus is going to succumb to his illness, and he is going to die. And as we'll see in a few verses, Jesus is planning on raising him from the dead. But then the question is, if Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha... Why didn't he go right away? Now, there's a couple things. Number one, what is clear throughout the book of John is Jesus does what Jesus wants to do. If you remember the miracle of turning water to wine, right? His mom comes up to him, and she says, hey, they're running out of wine. And Jesus politely says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm the one in charge. 
And Jesus is reminding us that he is Lord, and he is sovereign, and he's going to do what he's going to do. But it's because of his love for us that he does what he does. See, God does everything. Everything God does has two purposes, his glory and our good. And John reminds us that he loves them so that we remember Jesus isn't just being a jerk. He has a plan, and it's for their good. Now again, let me cheat a little bit ahead in the story. So if Jesus would have left right at this time, he would have gotten there when Lazarus would have been two days dead. Now, there is some writing outside of the Bible that we have from that time period that suggests that the belief back then was anything before three days was more of a resuscitation rather than a resurrection. It's something that is parodied in movies like The Princess Bride. Well, he's only mostly dead. And again, because of what Jesus is planning to do, when he gets there, it is obviously a resurrection miracle. Okay, so I just, I wanted to clear that up because I know that can be a stumbling block for many. But what I want you to see, again, the big idea here is everything Jesus is doing is out of love for Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the people around him. And when God works on his timeline and in his way, he does it out of love for his people. Now, Jesus, if you look in verse 7, he says it's time to go to Judea. That's where this town of Bethany was. But what also is in Judea is Jerusalem. And if you remember back to our earlier studies in John, especially John chapter 9, Jesus isn't exactly welcomed there. So let's read in verses 8 to 11. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the, the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. And as we learned in John chapter 10, verse 31, the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him, which is what the disciples are referring to here. You can go back and read chapter 10 about that. So why would Jesus do that? And Jesus has this little time with his disciples of, hey, it's daytime, let's work. And what this reminds us of is, number one, Jesus is always about the Father's work regardless of the circumstances. And so we need to be about the Father's work regardless of the circumstances. Last week, we heard testimony about people working in very, very difficult circumstances, but they are still seeking to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ regardless of those circumstances. But the other thing that this reminds us is that all of this is leading one place. All of these stories, all of these verses are leading to one place, and that is the cross of Jesus. 
This story is not just some random collection of stories. There's a point. And these stories are leading us to a Savior who died for you and for me. And who will himself rise again. But we read in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, a euphemism for death. But I go to awaken him. I want you to see that Jesus this whole time knew what he was going to do. Jesus does not get surprised. Jesus is not surprised by what happens in your life either. But Jesus has a plan. Now thankfully for us, because it means we get more explanation, but thankfully for us, the disciples are a little thick-headed here. So let's look at verses 12 to 16. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now you see through both what Thomas says there at the end and what the disciples say at the beginning, that they're, they're a little thick in the head. And that's good for us because that means Jesus has to explain more. And so Jesus comes out, and plainly, if we didn't understand that Jesus was talking euphemistically about his death, he's very plain here. Lazarus has died. But again, in verse 15, we have another purpose statement. Look what Jesus says. And again, at first glance, it's a little quizzical. And for your sake, he's talking to the disciples, I am glad I was not there. You see why it's important that John has to remind us Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Because if we didn't understand that, this would be much harder to understand. But look again at verse 15. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That's so that there, it's so important. It shows a purpose. That the miracle that Jesus is going to do, again, he knows what he's going to do. The miracle is going to bring about and strengthen the faith of those around. Again, God does everything for his glory and our good. And we see that one of the purposes that God has when we know someone or we ourselves are experiencing our own death or the death of a loved one, that God, again, he can even use those times to strengthen and bring about faith in others. Again, when I think about my experiences in, in officiating funerals over the years, and I've done, I've done quite a few, I was laughing with someone over the summer because in my 10 years of ministry I have done one wedding and it was my brother's so I married my brother um, but over those years I have I've lost count 
of the funerals I've been a part of. And the funerals where I can clearly share the wonderful testimonies that many of those saints had. I remember a couple of years ago sharing about Stuart's coming to Christ. Many of you were here for that. And I, I loved sharing that story because I knew Stuart before he was a Christian. And it was very clear he was not a Christian. <laughs> and I saw God transform his life. And when it did come his turn, he was confident in his hope in the resurrection. And I was able to share that with, with us to strengthen our faith as believers. But I know there were more than a couple people who did not know Christ who were able to hear that testimony. That testimony of a transformed life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us that Again, God evens working them because I think here's the lie. We're, we're experiencing the pain and the anguish and we say there's no way that God is a part of this. But he's there and he's at work in your life and in the lives of people around you. At the end of verse 15, we see that it's now time to go. Jesus says, but let us go to him. And Jesus and the disciples go to find Lazarus. So let's look at the faith that leads to resurrection in verses 17 to 27. Let's start with verses 17 to 20. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Jesus arrives at Bethany. John, the author, reminds us that he has been dead for four days, so it is clear he is dead. And John also reminds us of its proximity to Jerusalem. Again, keeping the cross in full view. And Martha hears that Jesus is near and goes out to meet him. Let's look at their interaction in verses 21 to 24. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. As we get to chuckle at the density of the male disciples, we see wonderful testimony from one of Jesus' female disciples in Martha. She correctly believes and states that if Jesus had been there, her brother would not have died. You see her faith in Jesus' ability 
to heal. Again, as we are experiencing these times, we believe that Jesus can and will heal. But we also learn from the story of Lazarus that sometimes he does choose not to in his wisdom and according to his will. But Martha continues in verse 22, and she says, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I love the persistence of Martha's faith here. She comes in humility to Jesus, who has chosen not to heal Lazarus, even though she knows he could have. Now, we don't know if she is saying this because she believes that Jesus will raise him from the dead. We don't know that. But at a very minimum, we can see the faith of Martha of still trusting Jesus even when he chooses not to heal. And that's a great lesson for us to understand. Jesus answers Martha's claim by saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds with her faith. She has a theology of death. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. As an Orthodox Jew, now there were some differences in Judaism at the time, but as a Jew, she did also believe, as we believe, in a resurrection on the last day. But it's at this point where Jesus intensifies that understanding, that theology of resurrection by pointing to himself. Look at verses 25 to 27. These, this, is the, this is the climax, really, of the story, not the miracle. This is the height of the story, actually, here. Let's look at Jesus' words in verses 25 to 27. So Martha has said, I, I know there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. We need to remember that the life of Jesus is in some way a transition from God's people before Jesus came, particularly in the Old Testament, to God's people after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended. And so Jesus at times will reinterpret what was believed to, and center it around himself. So the Jewish belief at that time of believing in a resurrection, and here Jesus says, I am the resurrection. It is a personal trust in Jesus Christ that guarantees our resurrection. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their personal trust in Jesus 
Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If you're a believer in Jesus, the death of your physical body on this earth is not the end. It is the beginning of the next chapter of being with God forever. And our hope is cemented on the basis of this is not our ability to perform for God. It doesn't say, and everyone who lives a really awesome life will never die. It's not your performance. It's not your ability to be good. Because if it was, we'd all fail and we'd never know. I've been around too many people who believe that it is, you know, if their good outweighs their bad, or if they have enough good karma in their life, or whatever term they use. And when they are experiencing their own mortality or the mortality of someone they love, there is no stability in their life, and they are like a boat just out to sea. That is not how a believer understands death. There is a stability that we have when we experience our own death or the death of someone we love that is centered on the hope of Christ and what he did on our behalf. So there's no question about will it work or not. There is no assurance of eternal life in any other religion or philosophy. But there is an assurance of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, your sins have been paid for. And your eternal life has been guaranteed. And so we we will not be afraid. We will not be in despair. I shared this story a couple of years ago. I think it's worth repeating. I was at, I wasn't officiating at this funeral, but I was at a funeral for someone in the community. Me and the other pastor went. And I experienced a woman lost in her despair to the point of when she got up to speak about her partner who had passed away, she started yelling at her deceased partner of saying, you said you weren't going to leave me. It struck me so much because of the anguish and the pain and she had no hope. And so she was being swallowed in her despair. Now we're going to talk about grief and we're going to talk about mourning in a second. But what I want you to see is that you, as a believer in Jesus, can have the stability and the certainty of resurrection. Because that comes through faith in Jesus and what he did for you. And, And when you have that certainty, when you have that stability 
you're able to mourn without being lost in it. You're able to grieve without being enveloped by despair. And you can face the end of your life with dignity, knowing that you are being held in the arms of your Savior. And he will never let go. I love Jesus' question because that question is still for us today. Do you believe this? And I love Martha's answer. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha will grieve her brother. She is mourning her brother in this part of the story, but her faith is solid because it is based on Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. And again, if you're following along in the outline in your bulletin, I want us to see that death still leads to tears. So let's look at verses 28 to 32. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. So now it's Mary's turn. And a fun little detail in the story is that everyone around who was there to mourn the death of Lazarus, they follow her because they think she's going to the tomb, but she's going to Jesus. And she says, remarkably similar to Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Another great statement of faith from these women. But then we get to verses 33 to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus looks around. And and the translation there of those words, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Those are very broad emotional categories and and those words can be used for a broad spectrum of emotion. But isn't that what we experience when we're experiencing the death of someone we love? There is the full range of emotions. Everything from anger and sadness and all of those things. And Jesus is experiencing those things. And I think it's summarized well in a verse more known for its brevity than its content. 
Verse 35, Jesus wept. Why is it important to tell us that Jesus cried? Here's why I think it's important. Jesus has already told us he knows what he's going to do. Jesus says, I'm going to go wake him up. But even though Jesus knows he can do, when he sees the people, when he sees Mary and Martha, when he thinks about the death of his friend Lazarus, and Jesus probably also thinking about when Lazarus will one day die and not be resurrected like a miracle like this, but will go to the resurrection of eternity. When Jesus sees the experience of these people having to experience death in a broken and fallen and sinful world, even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus, he still weeps. There is a lie out there that if we have the hope of Christ and resurrection, then we shouldn't mourn or we shouldn't grieve and nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus knows that within that hour, (laughs) I mean, he's probably 15 minutes away from doing the miracle and he still cries. Even though we have hope, we still mourn and grieve the loss of those we love. But the other thing you need to see is that your Savior weeps with you. When you are grieving, Jesus is grieving with you. Even though he knows he is going to raise that person to eternal life, he still grieves with you. Hebrews chapter 4 calls Jesus our sympathetic high priest who knows what it's like to be us and experience life the way we experience it. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knows what it's like to grieve, and he grieves with you. And it's only because of our hope that we have the stable foundation upon which we can grieve. We do not mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn as those who have hope. And Jesus mourns with us. The crowd comes back into this and says, So the Jews said, verse 36, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And their partial understanding is is pretty correct. He could have, and now that sets the stage. This understanding of if he could heal a blind man, couldn't he heal a sick man? This sets the stage for the miracle. Let's look at verse 38 to 40. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Again, Jesus, that, that broad emotional idea there, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
Again, as we've said before, John the writer writes in such a way as to make it very clear, Lazarus has died. This is not Jesus waking Lazarus up from a coma or from being knocked unconscious. He has died. And Jesus reminds Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Jesus knows what he is going to do and now he's going to do it. And the means that he uses for this miracle is prayer. Look at verses 41 to 42. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Again, we have another purpose statement to the miracle and the circumstances around the miracle. Jesus prays so that the people around will understand that this is God testifying about who Jesus is. That when God grants this miracle, because God is the only one who can raise people from the dead, that it is testimony that Jesus is who he said he is, the promised Savior who has come into the world. It is meant to encourage and strengthen the faith of those who see it. And then verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. God call, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and he comes out still wrapped in the customary wrappings of that time. One commentator suggested the difference between Lazarus coming out of the tomb and Jesus, his resurrection, when all the cloth was folded up already, is to point to that that Lazarus would, would one day die. And he would have to wait until the resurrection. But Jesus was the beginning of the resurrection to heaven. But Jesus demonstrates his power over death. A power that he will ultimately use to raise himself from the dead at Easter. And again, in demonstrating his power over death, he calls people to believe. As he said in verse 42, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? We make a couple suggestions this morning. How do we experience death as believers? Number one, tragedy and hardship are often used by God for us to see him more clearly and to strengthen our faith. This is one thing that God is at work. Now, it doesn't invalidate all the other things. You know, sometimes we use that this way. Well, God's, God's using this for his purpose, so don't cry. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. 
It's not what I'm saying, but I want you to understand that even in death, God is at work. God has worked to show himself clearly and to call others to faith in Christ. And I think there's something, there's something edifying about the fact that God can even use my illness or my death to draw people to himself. That God is at work even in those rough times, even in those times of great tragedy. Secondly, Jesus weeps with you. Just because we have hope doesn't mean we don't mourn and grieve. It is good and right. Again, Jesus wept even though he was right about to do the miracle. Don't miss that detail. But we grieve in a way that we're not lost in our grief. We mourn without despairing because we have hope in Christ. And that's the third one. If you believe in Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. The hope of the Christian is a certain, guaranteed hope. It is not one of anxiety where, I hope I've been good enough. I've seen fear grip someone who is in hospice because their hope was in their performance and that they were a nice person. But in the end, that gives no hope because deep down, we know how sinful we are. (laughs) But you can have hope today through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of Lazarus. We thank you for the hope that a believer in Jesus can have even in death. That for the believer in Jesus, death is not the end. But the believer in Jesus has the hope, the guaranteed hope of eternal life. God, I thank you that you are not a robotic God, but a God who cries with his people. That when we grieve, you grieve. And that in the safety of your arms, we are able to mourn and cry. And God, we thank you that you are always at work. Even in the darkest times, you are at work showing yourself to a lost world and encouraging and strengthening our faith. And you do all things for your glory and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.